0: Hey, it's Mark Scheifele here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is Ryan, and today we have episode 103, which is a two-part episode with Ken Weeb and Sean Reynolds of Sportsnet. If you would like to watch this interview, we have uploaded the Zoom calls to YouTube. Just search Jet Centric Podcast or check the podcast episode description. We have another media member interview coming later this week, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And as always, thanks for listening and enjoy the episode.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Jetcentric Electric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I am super lucky to be joined by Ken Weave today. So, Ken, thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, so um, Ken has always been, uh, you know, one of the more beloved media members for Jets fans, you know, Weave's World on TSN and always being active on Twitter uh, for fans. So um, we've had Ken on the podcast before, but many things have changed uh, since then, since that time. Um, Ken actually has changed jobs in um, that duration of time. So Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the past you know year year and a half for you what it's been like um we have covered your origin story before and i know um we talked about you playing as a kid and your altona upbringing and whatnot so maybe um some of the more recent things in your life so far what's uh, what's been new with you
1: sure yeah since that episode uh, changed jobs once via trade and once kind of via free agency i guess if you will uh, after my almost uh, two decades at the winnipeg sun uh the plunge with over at The Athletic with uh, with our good friend Murata Tesh but uh, the pandemic certainly uh, had an impact in my household here as long you know along with uh, you know just getting laid off uh, back in June uh, with with uh, I think 45 other uh, colleagues so that was certainly something new to go through after having so much stability. uh, tough thing for sure, but uh, I was fortunate to be scooped up by Sportsnet.ca, I think, uh, shortly thereafter. And even though it's contract work, uh, hockey fans will know I've, I've been calling this my PTO. It's my pro tryout offer. So uh, like a lot of those uh, veteran NHLers that were getting squeezed out by the uh, economic times, uh, I had to kind of go back to your roots and... Take a bit of a tryout, but uh, certainly been enjoying the process, and it's been a good company to work for. And was fortunate too to be be in the bubble in Edmonton, uh, not not in the player bubble, but be in the empty arena for those playoffs, which uh, was something that was very interesting to monitor, that's for sure. But uh, certainly interesting times, some challenges, but uh, enjoying it nonetheless. And and then on the side too this year, I added a little bit of work on uh, the CJB side, where i writing one column a week for for them that shows up at globalnews.ca and then also uh, doing some radio with them. But uh, Weebs World uh, currently on hiatus in terms of m- my work with Dennis and Sarah, which I've always enjoyed, but uh, Sean Reynolds and I have been trying some fun things, whether it be Instagram Lives or some of the TV and digital work we've been doing as well.
2: Great, yeah, that's cool. I didn't, t- I didn't realize that you were part of the, uh, the bubble in the summer, so that was probably a really uh, neat experience. Do you have any fun stories or anything interesting you can bring up about that, uh, that weird time?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a different time. I mean, being on the road, there's I mean, much like the teams themselves. I mean, the, the media component, there's always when the playoffs are on, there's usually a fun component of people going out for, you know, for dinners and things like that. But, you know, you never had more than uh, four people at a table. It wasn't quite code red situation yet, but uh, everyone was staying very safe and careful. And it's one of those things where, you know, we all made sure we got a picture, you know, masked up pictures with the empty rink behind. And, I mean, you hope you don't see it often, but it's something that you put in the old time capsule and you look back and kind of say that was kind of a cool thing to be part of. But uh, the wildest thing that stood out was uh, was how much uh, beaking was happening with both players and coaches towards the referees. And uh, I think the most memorable example of that was a classic Milan Lucic line where it just happened to go dead silent and he... So the only reason you called that was to get on TV and it was, uh, you know, there were only, you know, 20 people in the rink, but everyone heard it very clearly. And there were probably a couple of uh, uh, F sharps uh, sprinkled in, but uh, that was kind of one of the funnier uh, on ice moments in a a series that was uh, memorable for a lot of other reasons, especially for Jets fans.
2: That's hilarious. I'd never heard that one. (laughs) And I mean, honestly, if I had to, you know, pick one player who was in that bubble who would have said something like that, it might've been him. So that's, um, that's fun. No, that's good that, um, different, uh, career options in your life and kind of all these new different experiences. And you said you've been working with Sean Reynolds, who uh, we've had on the podcast before too. Great guy. So, um, and we're hoping to also have him in this episode as well. So, um, that'll be super fun. Two of our, um, homegrown, um, men who have moved on to a bigger, bigger pond with, um, Sportsnet and it's really neat to hear, um, from you guys. So, um, Right now, when I'm talking to Ken here, it is Monday. Um, We are over two weeks out of the big trade that happened. Um, Ken did a big piece on Sportsnet about Pierre-Luc Dubois, so I don't know if you want to kind of dive into that a little bit. You talked to some of his old coaches and people who have worked with him in the past. Um, Yeah, just kind of give us a scoop on, on that piece.
1: Yeah, it's certainly been interesting. and I mean, uh, so much time and effort has been spent on the the shift, uh, if you will, during these last two weeks, which again, we're not ignoring it. But uh, I think as Pierre-Luc said himself, uh, he's had almost 6,000 shifts in the NHL and you'd be hard pressed to find another one like that one. So uh, certainly was doing a bit of a, not a reference check per se, but it was interesting to see uh, the, the commentary from his coaches, from Marc-Andre Dumas in Cape Breton and then uh, JF Fortin who was the assistant coach to Joel Bouchard uh, in Blaineville both spoke so incredibly highly about him and his character and the amount of effort that he puts in on and off the ice and uh, the story that stood out from Dumont was the story where he was a 17 year old they were down two centermen and he asked him if he could play center even though he hadn't really done it before other than one tournament uh, for Team Quebec uh, not only did uh, Dubois embrace the opportunity but Flat out spent an extra, I don't know if it was half an hour or longer at the end of practice, taking 200 draws with uh, with a teammate and and one of the assistant coaches. So when I asked Pierre-Luc about that, he said, well, he was processing what he could do in a two-day span or a day span before he started playing. He said, the one thing I could get better at is face-offs. So uh, the fact that he went out and took 200 of them, I think, you know, speaks strongly to him. And as Marc-Andre said, this is a guy who's a star player. He's probably going to be a top 10 pick. could have taken 10 or 15 draws and just said hey man I'm good uh let's just give this a shot but the fact that he wasn't willing to just accept what would have been acceptable to me really stood out about him as well and uh just sounds like a high character guy and even too I was fortunate enough to have about 20 minutes with him by phone uh last week near the end of his quarantine and just his passion for the game of hockey really stood out to me uh you know we talked so much talk about culture and what the Jets are trying to do but Uh, even by his own admission he said his dad Eric who's an assistant coach with the Manitoba Moose is one of those hockey nerds so he used to you know go over at at lunch hour during school go over to the rink and watch a video with him so this is a guy that genuinely loves the game Uh, obviously Jets fans are hoping that he'll plant his flag here in Winnipeg for a longer term deal and ultimately that will you know probably determine uh, where things go with the trade but uh, this sounds like a guy who's really excited about the opportunity to play on a big stage and and really embrace uh, both the city and the organization and and see where that takes him. He obviously has high expectations for himself and uh, there's a lot of things that he wants to accomplish in his career. And I think that this opportunity will be a a really good one for him just based on speaking with him and others who know him very well, including David Savard who he lived with uh, as a 19 year old. Uh, That was really nice to be able to catch up with him on the road and get a little bit of perspective uh, from one of his more recent teammates.
2: Yeah, I've um I've seen a lot of chatter on Twitter and whatnot about how, oh, David Svart, he's a defenseman of uh, UFA at the end of the season, good buddies with Dubois, you do the math kind of thing. And he seems like a really stand-up guy. And um I know on I believe it might have been the ground control podcast, something that I was listening to, and they mentioned that um this kind of was, you know, uh, Dubois expected this trade coming, right? And he so the morning of he went to spend that last, you know few moments as a blue jacket with the Savard family, which is a really sweet moment. I don't know if you have anything you want to add. Yeah, to
1: that. for sure. I mean, and the one thing I didn't get it into the story, but that, that was one of the things that stood out. I mean, obviously, David and, and Pierre-Luc have a good friendship, but he said it was really hard for his kids. It was one of those first moments where his kids lost a friend because, uh, you know, with Dubois being a guy that was there at 19 he kind of he was growing up himself in the NHL while David's kids were growing up and to that age where they became very attached to him and it's one thing to to talk about the business side and the impact on the players but when you start thinking about the impact on players families and and things of that nature I mean it, it really starts to hit home for guys and I mean David pointed out I mean th- those guys are going to be friends for life and he'll see him in the summer, but. I think that was kind of one of those not, not tear jerking moments per se, but something where the emotions of the game uh, kind of get involved as well. And it's the one thing that isn't really talked about. I mean, it's it's a business for fans, players and and management alike. So uh, that was one thing that really stood out for me. And, you know, David said how great a player he was. Yes, but and how excited he was for him personally. But it was a tough moment for for both he and his family to go through.
2: Right. Yeah, of course. And I think that's, that's an interesting point you bring up because we hear so much about how Dubois is coming. His parents live here and his close relationship with his parents. But, you know, whenever you've been somewhere for any amount of time, you have relationships, you're leaving there as well. Right. So maybe it's not his father or his mother or anything like that, but it's still an important family piece there that he's um, leaving. So that's that's neat, though. And it's it's special because, you know, these guys are humans too. Right. So it's a, it's a nice... Kind of like you said, it's a bit of a tearjerker, but it's also kind of feel good because you're you're glad that he had uh, some good memories to bring back from Columbus as well. Um, so as of right now, he is slotted in the middle um, with Kyle Connor and Trevor Lewis, right? You were um, watching the practice this morning and yesterday, and you were one of the first sources I saw to tweet out those lines. And I know at my house, it was uh, my dad left it open on the computer. He said, "Alyssa, did you see these?" And like we're <laughs> so anything to say about that. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was the most popular subject uh, in Winnipeg the past couple of days and I did get to practice early and I mean you're always trying to see what you can figure out by which colors the players are wearing and who's with whom potentially and I mean, historically the Jets top six generally are wearing white jerseys versus the blue but you thought maybe uh, you know Maurice might be trolling us with you know trying some different combinations but uh, when we saw Kyle Connor was also in blue that to me stood out as it was going to be the easy one to figure out in terms of who his line mates would be Uh, and I know the great debate among Jets fans and I mean I would say media alike would be you would think it would be a natural fit to have Mason Appleton slide right in there in that job right away because I think he's maybe a little bit more offensive at least he certainly was at the American league level and he's really gotten off to a great start this year. But I mean, the, th- the flip side of that is that Paul Maurice just went out of his way after the last game against the flames to talk about how he's starting to view Appleton and Lowry as a pairing. So at a time when he's testing out a few pairings, including a new one in Dubois and Connor, I don't think that we should be overly surprised that it was Trevor Lewis getting that opportunity rather than Appleton right now. But Paul Maurice has also gone on his way to say, you know, this is another one of the great examples where nothing is permanent. And I would think we're just going to see a little bit more action happening. And the other part of the equation too, is that with Nate Thompson getting closer to being available, I think you will see eventually either Adam Lowry or Paul Stastny go to the wing, but this was a chance to maybe go the four lines deep and see what kind of balance could be provided here uh, in the upcoming in games, especially the one against Calgary. But again, Saying you want to have times between 13 and 17 minutes is one thing. Let's see if they can do it in in actual game action. But the other thing about Trevor Lewis too, I mean, the analytics committee community would know that he's a guy that even though he's played a bottom six role primarily been used on the fourth line, he's, he's been a pretty good play driver and he's a good skater. So I think he'll be able to keep up. And and then he would also be a bit of a defensive conscious on that conscience on that line as well. So uh, it's probably not as bad a fit as some people would say you, know when a guy goes from the fourth line to the second line or whatever we want to be calling them one a b and c for now but it'll be interesting to see and I personally uh, I know that you're very familiar with Dubois I want to see Nikolai Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois together and again that's not a knock on Kyle Connor and I think we you know one of the things we learned uh I mean from Murat's story about uh the last 15 games that Dubois played was that he's a very good backhand passer. So I think it's natural that you would, you would have one of your best finishers on his left side. But for me, I think that explosive nature and dynamic nature of Ehlers would be pretty well suited to play with Dubois down the line. But again, I also understand that, you know, that line with Ehlers, Shifley and Kopp played a really good game against Calgary in the last game as well. And I think you're going to see Cop and Shifley stay together a little bit more as a pairing also, because, Cop is so defensively responsible, and because of his history at center, he can go back and play that down low position if he really needs to. So, I think Paul Maurice has a lot of really good options at his disposal. And, you know, like most people, I'm very curious to see and fascinated, quite frankly, to see how all the pieces fit together. Uh, but it's definitely going to be a work in pro- progress. The chemistry set will be out, and uh, so will the blender. Uh, so be ready for for lots of tweets with the changes changes to those lines. But uh, the next couple of games will be really interesting. Also, because Calgary, quite frankly, uh, went to the blender of their own. And that included Sam Bennett moving up to a line where that Shifley line has actually played quite well against Monahan's line in the series, especially, especially lately. Uh, Bennett brought that physical dynamic and ended up getting an important goal against the Oilers. And then the bigger development for Calgary was that Michael Backlund, who had been really struggling, uh, had a really excellent game, both offensively with Milan Lucic and also against Connor McDavid. So it'll be interesting to see how the matchup game goes, uh, both for Jeff Ward and Paul Maurice now that Ward will have the last change.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's um, something to be said about how many options there are, like you said, with the whole Blender thing. Like we have right now 12 forwards who have been quite good and like even the ones who have been, you know, maybe not as good are still talented players. So there's so many options to be had there and stuff so that's very um exciting so you had mentioned that um Nate Thompson um is getting healthier and that's something that um lots of people have been talking about do you believe that he slots right into the lineup because Jansen Harkins as well right is only on a short-term injury there so um what do you foresee being the move there or do you think there's anything set in stone or is it very arbitrary for now
1: yeah. I mean, I think that uh, Paul Maurice, you're not going to see him commit to anything because, you know, generally when one person gets healthy and other guys right around the corner from being banged up or having some bumps and bruises, but uh, you know, you could, you know, when you're looking at this arrangement, you could easily see Jansen Harkins slotting in either where Trevor, Trevor Lewis is, or even where Christian Veselainen is. It's a much deserved promotion for me for Veselainen, but it's going to be now up to him to show what he can do when he's playing with more offensive players. I mean, I was fortunate enough to see the Moose at the end of last year in one of their last games before the break and David Gustafson, who I'm a big fan of his game, Gustafson and Vesalainen really have great chemistry together. We saw that briefly in their limited ice time in that last game against the Flames. I'd like to see more of those two together and I think that could even be an option once Lowry or Stastny moves to the wing but I mean, we also know that Paul Maurice uh, does love his veteran players. And I, I do think that Nate Thompson will be given an opportunity uh, to move back into that fourth line uh, center role. But I mean, the other part of the discussion, Matthew Perot finding the fountain of youth. I mean, I, given all the injuries that he had last year, and I mean, there has been an obvious decline in production, but uh, the time off was not only valuable for young players in terms of guys like Logan Stanley and you know, Jansen Harkins, guys who could take care of their bodies, for some of those veterans, you went through injuries the way that Perot did, and you know Trevor Lewis spoke to about, uh, spoke about it as well. Uh, that long break certainly has helped some of those veterans kind of re- rekindle that spirit, and that's got to be one of the most positive developments for, for Jets uh, the Jets team and for fans themselves because most of the talk going into this year was about how Matthew Perot is going to be an overpaid player playing on the fourth line, making $4 million dollars. Uh, right now he's playing on more of their most consistent line and he's also been productive offensively. So, I mean, again, good on Matthew Perot. It's never been a question of effort for him, but he's back to creating that chaos on the forecheck. And and when he can bring that finishing ability, it just, uh, it, it just adds another level and dynamic to to what he brings to the table, especially when you have uh, you know guys like Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton producing and and also throw Andrew Kopp uh, into that equation as well, even though now he's doing most of his producing uh, on one of the top two lines.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. And I, I was listening to um to uh the episode that you had with AJ from you know whatever two plus years back and we were talking about you had mentioned Christian Besseline and you're talking about how you're excited to see him um get a bigger role and see what he could do with the NHL Club and I think that it's uh very encouraging for Jets fans because I know a lot of people were really quick to harp on him and say that he was a bust after that draft and yeah.
1: No, No, for sure. One quick one. When uh, when it comes to Vesselheim, I think one of the issues was the year that he started with the Jets, went briefly to the Moose, went back home to play in the KHL with, uh, you know, Helsinki, I think it was, or Jokrit, with his hometown team. And then he didn't go to the World Junior and he missed out on the opportunity. I think that year didn't Finland win the gold medal. So like there was all kinds of weird stuff happening in terms of development year. Uh, Then he came back to the Moose and he didn't have those eye popping numbers, even though he was, I think about a half point a game player as a, as a, as a rookie in North America. So it was a steady year, but it wasn't one of those years. The Jets have had so many guys have an immediate impact upon making it in the NHL. And even if, you know, even though Kyle Connor spent the majority of his rookie season with the Moose, when he came out of that, he immediately became a 30 goal scorer. So I think because so many of those first rounders have hit right away, uh, there's been so much anticipation, and we know that the patience level is sometimes low, as as we're also recently finding out uh, with the uh, the free meet, free Hanila hashtag replacing the free Niku hashtag uh, right now. So I know that's a topic. I'll just quickly weigh in. I'm a huge Billy a fan. Uh, I think that uh, his offensive game is ready right now. I also, having covered the American League for ten, ten years. I, I understand it's not the end of the world that he's not in there immediately. Um, Mark Shifley, Josh Morrissey, um, all these situations are different, but neither one of those guys were full-timers at 19 and things have worked out pretty well for both of them uh, in the long run. But at the same time, I think Josh Morrissey played his best game of the year with Billy Hainala on the back end, which uh, a lot of fans noticed as well. Uh, I noticed it. I wrote the day after that. I, I thought that that performance earned him another look but uh, Paul Maurice did not agree with uh, my assessment at least not in that situation and uh, I think a lot of fans are becoming impatient in terms of when that next game will come but uh, just so many factors I I think the one thing that is curious for me uh, I think maybe the benefit of hindsight I wonder if the Jets wish they had instituted the Nick Robertson plan the way that the Leafs did and I know they love having their players at the World Junior but if Hanalup was available from day one of training camp, and if he had not been in Edmonton or subject to quarantine, I wonder how different this discussion would be that we're having right now. Because uh, I can guarantee you that although the Jets have been happy with the progress of Logan Stanley, I am not aware of anyone who had Logan Stanley in the lineup on game two of the season. And I tip my cap to him. I've been a, a fan of the development. I was also lucky enough to watch him at the under-18 in Grand Forks. So. My early viewings were a little bit more than some. I know, again, there's a guy that seems to be taking a long time, but this was a guy that was drafted as a project player, and now he's kind of hitting in that stride. I mean, I think that it was probably more likely to be next year when he really got into form, but uh, I I think that he's looked more and more comfortable. And again, that's not an excuse for not playing Hainala. It's just a reminder that Stanley's played two full years in the American League, so he's a little bit further along in terms of experience. And also, I'm not discounting the experience Hainala had in Liga and he had a great start there I think he's ready for more to chew on but I think one of the bad things for him is that there's if the American League was playing I think he would have gone down and played for two weeks and then he'd be even more even closer to jumping in and making an immediate impact but it's a great thing to monitor Uh, I'll be very curious I still contend that he'll make an impact on this Jets blue line before the year is over but Again, that, that remains to be seen, uh, whether he forces himself into an opportunity or is given one, uh, you know, because of injury or, or, or opportunity, uh, whether it's play, play dictating that as well. And the other factor is Seattle expansion. I mean, the, the Jets are trying to make sure they have enough uh, players to expose in that, in that as well. So uh, many, many interesting things through 11 games, but uh, many more twists and turns to come.
2: Yeah, we we had our um our last episode was our early almost quarter season uh, report cards we did we did a bit of a a discussion about kind of and yeah we talked about how yeah Stanley has been better than maybe some of us had expected but then again there's the whole handle a piece of um maybe he should be playing but then who comes out kind of thing but I think that's really um, neat that you bring up the point that if he had been there from the beginning of training camp if that had been better because I saw a lot of people that were saying that it was probably better for him to be playing in the world juniors because he had fresh feet whatever he had been playing more recently so I think that's really um cool like both sides of uh what's better what's worse is that why he's not here or is it other situations altogether um any comments on Dylan Sandberg I feel like that's our poor press box guy who hasn't uh nothing's come of that just yet
1: just finishing the point on Hamlet too, and I'm not saying the Jets shouldn't have sent him there. I'm just wonder if if that internal discussion has been happening, and just because of how things played out. But uh, I, I've also been very impressed with Dylan Sandberg. You uh, know, I was I was Marat and I were I think two of the few uh, reporters who were there for that uh, 7 a.m. or 7:30 that first skate uh, of day one of training camp. And Sandberg, immediately you can tell he's a big, strong guy. Skates very well. Uh, he looks. More mature than he had at prior develop- at prior development camps, he had already stood out because of his size and skating ability. But you could tell that he put in uh, the effort to be ready. And again, he's been hurt by the fact that a) there were no NHL preseason games, and b) there have been no American Hockey League games yet. Uh, I think his skill set is a little bit more refined than some people might expect. Is he ready right now, today? I, I don't know that, but I think that. opportunity once it comes he'll be ready for it whenever that is and again i think it'll be great for both of those guys once the american league starts provided it starts in canada sooner than later for them to go down and play those 20 plus minutes and be used in all situations and then they'll be even more ready for that opportunity when it comes because it's my contention that i mean i think it was pretty clear coming to the year that the jets defense was sort of more on that adequate to potentially good range than maybe at the high end where they were maybe two years ago when they went to the conference final or two years and change where they were more of an elite defensive group or at least high octane in terms of the offense and size. Uh, I think the sooner that Sandberg and Hanela are regulars in the group, uh, the sooner we'll be to having the Jets um, raise that level in terms of their depth on the back end again. And that's not a knock on against the guys who are in there. Just all teams in the situation that they're in are going to have to get those ELC players into the regular rotation because of the guys who are having raises already and the the other players that are going to be given raises in this off season coming up. So uh, both those guys, uh, Jets fans should be excited about both of them. They both will have a bright future and uh, I can't wait to see them. I think that also tie this together where I think that Dylan Sandberg has a little bit of Jacob Truba in him in terms of that ability to have those open ice hits and, uh, you know, imposes will physically uh, I, I don't anticipate he'll be a 50 point player like Jacob Trubo was in his best year, but he's a very good puck mover, good first pass. And he really reads the game well, and he can bring that size and, and physical play on the back end. So uh, I think that the jets have a really interesting defense core moving forward. There's some other prospects at the American league level and playing overseas, but uh, the ones that are, you know, almost ripe or getting closer to ripe uh, really have the ability to, to really be both probably be top four guys eventually. And, and then two, just the last thing about the defense. I mean, Neil Pionk, the job that Neil Pionk and Derek Forbert have done in that shutdown role is, has been exemplary uh, so far. The biggest question about the Jets' defense is how Forbert, or would Forbert be able to handle those top four minutes? Uh, yes, it's a small sample size, but uh, that's been a resounding yes so far. And I think he's impressed not only with his way that he's played defensively and adding a physical element, uh, but he's chipped in offensively to a great degree as well. And then the other part, he's become a... Uh, schoolyard uh, street hockey goalie uh, with a couple of saves this year already. So that that's uh, where he's made a, a big mark as well.
2: Yeah, no, that was, uh, he's been a very pleasant, I wouldn't necessarily say surprise uh, for me personally. Like I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but he's been, yeah, really great so far. And it's the Pionk's hearing has been, I've been a huge fan personally and it's been good. It's good that there's some encouragement. I know people have been hard on our decor over the years just because, um, you know, losing truebone and Bufflin in that short, Uh, amount of time is tough as well as Enstrom too so you're it's tough but um, that's hockey right so um, we're running out of time on our zoom call so um, this is going to be like I'd sort of said a media episode. So we're going to have a couple different guests and I wanted to ask all three of our guests uh, the same question at the end so this is going to put you on the spot Ken if you could pick one player right now to add to this Jets team to make us better who would you pick and why Oh boy. Uh, what's my, <laughs> what's my budget? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, you can make a trade. I don't know. That's uh. there's no budget. Just, just pick somebody. That's not no, Conor David because that takes up the one.
1: No, <laughs> fair enough. I, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, even with Tucker Pullman coming back, I think the probably the, the number one priority for the Jets uh, in a fantasy world trade would be a, a big right shot defenseman. I would say Colton Pareko would be the, uh, you know, high, kind of upper echelon player I, again I don't see the Jets making a blockbuster for him but uh, both Sean and I have been fortunate to cover the Blues uh, during their their Stanley Cup run year not just against the Jets but also in that next round against Dallas and uh, the effort that Pareko put forth with Jay Bolmeister on the Blues shutdown pairing in that playoff was uh, absolutely exceptional but uh, I don't think that deal will be happening but uh, that would probably be uh, my number one choice in terms of what could help the Jets most uh, immediately right now?
2: Nice. That's a good answer. I like that. The the defense is always important. That's a, that's a good one. So uh, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day um, to come chat with us today. It was lots of fun, um, lots of good insight here and lots of positive points to think about going forward. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of the season and the rest of the show.
2: Hey everybody. Welcome to this Next part of the episode here, it's Liz. I'm with Sean Reynolds today. Sean, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, come talk, talk to me today.
0: Anytime, anytime.
2: Super. So um, at this point, you've probably already heard one or two of the interviews that we've had. And when we put out that fan survey the other day, um, thank you everybody who filled it out. It was great to receive some feedback from you all. Um, we had a lot of comments saying that they wanted to hear more about this North Division. Never has it happened before where we've only played Canadian teams. Lots of people are saying it feels kind of like an Original Six thing, where it's the constant same opponents, rivalries forming. It's been really exciting. So um, Sean here, um, first before we get into that, I'll kind of. For those of our listeners who don't maybe know as much about you, what you do kind of thing, I'll kind of let you give us a bit of your story, your your time with Sportsnet, what you're up to now, and then we'll kind of get into it, deep dive into some of the teams and how the Jets fare among them. So uh, Sean, I don't know if you want to start us off with uh, some of the more interesting things that you've been up to lately um, with Sportsnet.
0: Uh, Well, I mean, everything's been such a challenge with with the pandemic and how that's handled. So uh, I guess probably the most interesting part when we've been able to work was spending some time in the bubble covering the Stanley cup finals, uh, or Stanley cup final in the playoffs last year. Um, that was an interesting experience for the first time going into a building and watching a game, you know, without the fans. And the one thing that I, I have thought is really interesting about, uh, the fans not being in the building is that first shock of being in there and, you know, hearing a goal scored and hearing, you know, 20 guys yell for the goal and and that's it right and it kind of fades really fast but the one thing that I've thought is hockey really does take over I mean it's high level hockey it's the best hockey in the world and after a while I think it was probably weird starting out for the players, not having that buzz of the fans. but in the end, good hockey takes over. And I think that, uh, that's what we're seeing right now. I don't think there's much of a difference in the product from what we've seen in the past. I think there is a little bit of that, you know, if you're, if you're the home team and you score a goal and 30 seconds later you score another one, the way that that, you know, the momentum builds in the building, that's missing. Um, but uh, for, for the most part, I think we're just really lucky to be seeing the hockey that we're seeing this year
2: yeah for sure I would agree that's really neat I'm sure yeah that bubble is hopefully a once in a lifetime kind of experience hopefully we're never gonna have to do that again but the fact that you can say I was there and these are the stories from it that's a super neat and uh, we had Ken on yesterday Ken was saying that he was also there and stuff and you guys have been working on some stuff together at Sportsnet right do you want to tell us a little bit about that or as much as you can
0: yeah, well, you know, it's it's nice to have a teammate uh, for for the vast majority of my time at Sportsnet here I was the lone Sportsnet guy, you know, the myself and my camera guy. So everything that you did, you you were either doing on your own or, you know, every once in a while that have someone like CJ Chris Johnson would come rolling into town if the Leafs were coming in and then you could kind of do some some teamwork, you know what I mean? But it, it really was a one man band for a long time. Now that Ken's here writing for us and what a great teammate to have. And Ken, who's been covering this beat for, I mean, years and years, I remember being a young man and reading him in the paper. So not that he's that much older than me, but let's just say he's older than me because I got to hold that over him whenever I can. But uh, you know, it, it's, it's great to be able to have a conversation with someone else and, and not only, you know, away from the camera, but on air to be able to kind of because sometimes I find um, as a journalist, some of the best conversations that you have uh, are behind the scenes when you're just discussing something. What did you think about this? What did you think about that? And, And then, you know, at some point it clicks in about three minutes in the conversation. You're like, we should go find a camera and turn it on and and record this because this is good stuff, right? So uh, we get a lot more of that. Uh, We're definitely trying to to take uh, uh, our coverage online a lot more, which is something that we'll, you know, have to do here in Winnipeg because we don't have the local rights to the Jets. So there's, we we need to find a place or we need to find space for the conversations that we want to have. We've been doing Instagram Lives before the game to just kind of give people access uh to you know if they have any questions uh or behind the scene kind of looks uh, that's one of the things we've been trying to achieve we got a lot of ideas in the hopper and a lot of things that we want to take forward uh I think it's one of the most interesting parts about the pandemic is is with sports having been missing for so long uh and with the change and with the lack of fans uh and I mean lack of fans in the building um it's really forced us to kind of try and find different ways to tell stories. So I think we're right in that moment where, you know, you you got forced into doing it and, and uh, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. I think we're kind of at that stage where we've just found there's different things that we need to do to reach our audience uh, and are kind of embracing that right now and just letting the ideas percolate and hopefully uh, that'll turn into a lot of different things.
2: Cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. Right. So, this north division has been really interesting for a lot of people to watch um a lot of these games you feel like you've seen Calgary a million times Ottawa a million times but where is Montreal kind of thing these the schedules are just a little bit um they're interesting they're cool we've had like 4 days off now Pierre Dubois suits up today it's a very Interesting time. So I was thinking maybe we could kind of go across, maybe east to west, go through the different teams, sort of give us a rundown of how they look so far and um, the matchup against the Jets, if we have a sample to pull from or not. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll start with, I guess, Montreal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on Montreal uh, was really interesting for me. Uh, th- my picks at the beginning of the year, the four teams that were going to make the playoffs was Edmonton, Toronto, Winnipeg, and Calgary. But Montreal really vexed me the entire time because you know what they did in the playoffs last year was impressive. Um, and I really, really liked what they were able to do in the offseason. I really thought that they accomplished all the things that you would have wanted them to accomplish in the offseason. So when I looked at that lineup, I thought this is a lineup that should make the playoffs. The one problem with the Canadians that we've seen year after year after year is just when they look like they've got it figured out, suddenly everything falls apart. So for example, last year, um, they were were doing well and then they went on like a 10 or 11 game losing streak. And it was like, okay, well that's it. Their season's over, right? They're done. And then all of a sudden they fought their way back and started playing really good hockey and kind of despite the fact they dug this massive hole for themselves, they dug themselves out of it, and around Christmas time, they were sitting, uh, sitting in a playoff spot. So um, Christine Simpson was covering some, uh, some Canadians games last year, and she wasn't able to. So right after Christmas, I got an emergency call to go cover the Canadians down on their Florida trip right after Christmas. So they're playing Tampa, and then they're moving down, and they're playing against Florida the next game. And they promptly lose both those games and start this string of losses again. And they ended up, I think, pulling off another 10-game losing streak. So what you're seeing from that is a team that's not learning its lessons. They're not figuring out a way to do this. And so I needed to see from the Canadians that they they were a team that could – learn its lessons, to, to kind of figure it out. One of the things that I think the Jets have done really well, I think the Jets do a really good job of getting everything they can out of their team. So, I mean, it's early and maybe the Canadians are going to turn around and go on this 11 game losing streak. I don't think so. I think in order for them to be successful, Suzuki was going to be a really key player. He wasn't going to be able to have a sophomore slump. It doesn't look like he's done that. Kot Kanyemi was going to have to look like he took a step forward. It looks like he's done that. Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli were going to have to be, you know, everything that you could have imagined from them. And they've been that so far. Um, you take a look at that lineup. And I think the the, the Jets and the Montreal Canadiens are the two deepest lineups in the North. In fact, you were talking about some of the things we were doing. One of the things we've been doing online is this um, kind of change my mind kind of uh, uh, uh little show that we've been doing where a sportsnet personality from across the country can can challenge another one with a statement so uh it should be released uh later today but Justin Bourne and I I kind of challenged him and said the the Jets are the biggest team in Canada now with Pierre-Luc Dubois changed my mind and um and then you know he get gives his reasons for why I'm wrong and I give his the reasons for why he's wrong but when I, when I made that statement, the jets now with Pierre-Luc Dubois are the deepest team in Canada. When I take a look around Montreal is the team that challenges that notion because they're really deep in four lines. They're really deep defensively and carry price. If the right carry price shows up, there's not a lot of holes in that lineup. So, um, they, to me are a really, really dangerous team in the North this year.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I, um, when, um, we were looking at those lines that came out the other day. The Jets have been practicing with you have your Perot Lowry Appleton on the fourth line. People are like, Oh my gosh, we're going to roll four lines. What's this? Yeah. Like what's going to happen? We're going to roll four lines. So,
0: yeah,
2: um, and people are comparing it to Montreal in that sense. They're like Montreal puts out four lines and they have four competitive lines every night. So yeah. It's yeah. interesting because a lot of people do, this is a good segue into Toronto, I guess. Um, think that Toronto is the deepest team in the league just because of their their center depth is not bad in their fourth line center jason spezza scores a hat trick the other day so what yeah. the heck but uh i i i agree with you actually yeah that montreal probably across the board looks a little deeper than toronto does and possibly winnipeg i could humor the argument for that as well so yeah. um yeah. toronto let's uh i know geographically maybe edmonton er, sorry ottawa is next but let's go into toronto now um yeah. probably lots to say about that team
0: well, I mean, I think when I think when the season started, everyone takes a look at Toronto and thinks it's their division to lose, right? Everyone, when they were trying to hack out who are the four teams that were going to make it, uh, make it into the playoffs in the North, I think everyone started with Toronto, penciled that in, chiseled it in stone, and then started figuring out who the next three teams were going to be. And I mean, I think it's a fair comment from what we've seen from them, from what they've been capable of doing in the last couple of years, you know. They haven't had a lot in the way of playoff success. A lot of that has to do with the fact they keep running into Boston, who's one of the best teams in the league. You know, it's a bit of a, bit of a you know, poor luck of the draw situation with them. But then again, they had their shot last year against Columbus and, and were knocked out there as well. So, um, And I, I actually do think, you know, the, the, the way that Pierre-Luc Dubois was able to shut down Austin Matthews in that series it it does speak to the depth that we're talking about. Now, depth can come in different ways. It can be that you've got really great guys, you know, one through 12 forwards and one through seven defense. Um, But but it can also be that you've got, you know, your bottom six or maybe your bottom three are capable players that don't need a lot of ice time and that the depth that you have is more up front in that you're going to put your best players against any other team's best players a- anytime. any time. And so I think that's what you're seeing in Toronto is I don't think there is deep on the forwards. When you get into the third and fourth line, you mentioned Jason Spezza. He's capable of doing great things, but he's of advanced age. And, and you got to wonder how that's going to play out over the course of a season, especially a condensed, tough grind of a season like this. Um, but clearly when it comes in my mind, when it comes to Toronto, their their depth is the fact that those guys at the very top of their pyramid, and they've got a really thick top of their pyramid, are the kind of guys who are going to play a lot of minutes night after night. And they're the kind of guys that you are going to challenge and say, we think that our best guys can go against your best guys and beat them time and time again. And that's how we're going to win that game. Now, the Jets, I can see the way they're set up are the kind of team that if they play Toronto in the playoffs you can maybe match a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois against Austin Matthews and then you know what maybe you can get Adam Lowry some shifts out against the John Tavares line and kind of chew up some of the minutes it takes to shut those guys down and all of a sudden you've got you know if the lines stay intact which I don't believe they they will but all of a sudden you've got Wheeler and Stastny freed up against a third or fourth line you've got Mark Shifley and Nick Ehlers freed up against the third and fourth line so uh, it all depends on the way that that teams are going to play it. But clearly, in the in the case of Toronto, they're going to need, you know, contributions from their back end and contributions from their biggest stars in order to beat teams like Montreal and Winnipeg.
2: Right. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um, moving on to Ottawa, the um, more interesting uh, storyline of maybe what we've expected and also maybe not as bad as we've expected, or for some people, maybe it is, I don't know. Um, What do you got to say about Ottawa and how they fare with the jets?
0: Yeah. I I mean, the one thing that I learned from Ottawa, uh, from Ottawa against in their games against the jets is that when it really comes down to it, if, if the other team's top flight players are clicking, I really don't think Ottawa has a chance. So when you get Ottawa out there, yeah, they're plucky, yeah, they're young. Yes, they work really hard. And, you know, T- Paul Maurice, when he talked about playing them, he says there's a certain cost. You have to have your energy at a certain level. And all that is true. But if you're the Winnipeg Jets and Mark Shifley is having a, a good game or Blake Wheeler's having a good game or any of your top flight talent are having good games, I like your chances against Ottawa. Basically, if you show up and play against Ottawa, and your team like Winnipeg or Toronto or Montreal, you're probably going to win those games. Now, the funny part about that is the two wins that Ottawa has come against Montreal and come against Toronto. So clearly, uh, those are the teams that they've had success against. They haven't had success against the struggle, other struggling teams like Vancouver or, or Edmonton. Um, but, uh, I mean, I take a look at it as... You know, it's kind of a battle of attrition with that team. You need to show up and play against Ottawa because they'll grind you and they'll give a good effort and they're young and they can do that and they've got something to prove. Um, I, I do think that, you know, after they came out, they started the season, they won that first game against Toronto, everyone was like, hey, this team is not a free space on the bingo card. Yeah, they're not a free space on the bingo card, but they're pretty darn close. And if you're a team you got to show up and focus on those nights against Ottawa because point, points are, I mean, it's an obvious statement, but points are massively important uh, in this division. You can't be giving them away. And those are as close to free points as you're going to get in this division.
2: Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, even when you look at like last year with Detroit, who seemed like the big write-off of the league, whatever, even Ottawa, yeah. like at the end of the day, they're all professional hockey players. So it just, Takes a matter of a couple chances or a couple good games by some of their good players and they can win hockey games. Like it's not like it's crazy. But like you said, if you have these good guys who are elite league wide, never mind just in the division, having good games, it's pretty hard for a, t- a team like Ottawa to fare against them, right? So,
0: yeah. Well, and to the point about needing to get those points, I think it was the Canadians last year who lost a bunch of games to the Detroit Red Wings. I'm not sure about that, but, I, but if my memory serves me correct, that's what happened. And So there, there's one of the problems with that Montreal Canadiens team is they had competed and done really well against a number of teams. And then you give up a bunch of points against a team that you really should be gaining those points against. And it really, you know, in the end, the play playing round happened and they got in, but they wouldn't have made the playoffs. Um, had that situation not arisen and that would be one of the big reasons why and you know it's going to be a real bummer for the team that finishes third or fourth uh, or 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 finishes sorry fifth or sixth in the north division and if they take a look and find that you know Ottawa stole six points from them and they missed the playoffs by four points that's going to be a, a huge bummer you know especially if a team like a team that you're chasing is a team like Winnipeg that has done a really good job of keying in and getting those points every single night against those teams. It's going to be a real bummer if you take a look at your season and say, oh, you remember that night in February where we just weren't really feeling up to it and we didn't give our best effort against Ottawa? Well, that's the difference between us making the playoffs and not making the playoffs.
2: Right. And do you think um, before we move on, there's anything... Like, if Matt Murray becomes Stanley Cup Matt Murray again, that they do any better? Or is it just the team itself that isn't?
0: Well, I mean, I was watching a little bit of the the Ottawa-Edmonton game last night, and that's the suggestion, is that Matt Murray has shown up. And, and I mean, I think there's something to that. I just, you know, take a look at the Winnipeg Jets. They've really succeeded this year, and Connor Hellebuck is probably just now getting up to that Vesna form. They're winning without him. I I, I mean, I love the idea of a team, um, of a team, you know, succeeding and doing really well because their goaltender is backstopping them and standing them up the way that Connor Hellebuck did last year. Um, And definitely, you know, you'll see in cases of a team like Edmonton, if you're just not getting goaltending, it's going to be hard to succeed. But I hate the idea of resting your chances on if this goalie is going to show up or if this goalie is not going to show up. I think the idea is if you feel your goalie is not going to show up, you need to get really defensive as a team and play from the goalie out and give them all the help they can and help them build up that confidence. Um, I I think if the idea was you need Matt Murray to be Stanley Cup, Matt Murray to succeed while Matt Murray hasn't been Stanley Cup, Matt Murray since the last time they won the Stanley cup. So uh, if that was your is, if that was what you needed, it probably wasn't a fair ask of Matt Murray, who has not reached that level for some time uh, because, you know, without him doing that, saying our team's chances entirely rest on that. That's, that's a, that's a very tough ask.
2: Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Now we're going to skip over the middle of the country and we're going to move over. Big jump. Big, we're going to move over to Calgary now. So, Calgary, we're in the heart of a, what, four game? Played three, one left against them or something? I didn't realize, sorry to derail, that they had a game in the middle of this. I thought they also did a break. But anyways, Calgary, what do you got to say about them?
0: Well, it's interesting because when I had this conversation yesterday um, about the Jets being, in my opinion, the deepest team in Canada, um, I, I think a lot of the people, you know, in different markets who aren't paying as much attention as we are to the Jets. I think a lot of people have felt that the conversation of the deepest teams um, across Canada would have started with three teams, and that would have been Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how Calgary handled Winnipeg in the playoffs last year and how it, it felt to a lot of people, like the depth on that Calgary team is what killed the Jets, and I do believe it is. Um, the one thing I'll coach that with is if you t- take two top tier talents, like line a and shifley out of the lineup with injury that entirely tears apart, uh, your depth, but fair enough. I think that when Calgary does play a specific kind of game, um, they are a very, very deep team and can challenge the depth of a team like the Winnipeg jets. I just think the, the problem as I've seen time and time again with Calgary is, is getting that team all firing on all cylinders all at the same time. Now uh, I think that's, that's a fair statement of every team. I think that's one of the things that the jets are doing really good right now is everyone seems to be going at the same time. Um, But I mean, your depth is only as good as each player plays. If you've got 12 super capable players and only six of them are showing up at a time, then you're not that deep of a team. And I think that that's been the challenge time and again, with Calgary, who last year had to have a coaching change early in the season because they couldn't get everybody going. Uh, Sam Bennett, who was a god against the Jets in the playoffs last year, really looks like he hasn't shown up yet with Calgary. And who knows, he may not be an option for long, the way things are going there. Um, I had thought it was really interesting at the start of the year, if you took a look at all the teams, there were such question marks around them all. The Jets, the question marks, are they going to be able to get beyond their defensive struggles that they had. And my question when it came to Calgary was, were they going to be able to get everybody on board at the same time? A lot of times guys like Johnny hockey and Monaghan look disinterested and they're not showing up. And so one of my questions was, well, is Johnny Gaudreau going to show up? Well, he's showed up in spades. He's one of the best players in Canada right now. And I still look at that team and think they're struggling because I don't think we're seeing the best from Sean Monahan and the, the rest of the supporting cast. You know, I thought uh, against the Jets, really the Jets' depth outshone that team. And so uh, is it time to panic for them? I don't think so. Uh, But clearly that team needs to get to a place where they need to be playing their best hockey at a specific time. So if Calgary is that kind of team that can hang around and stay in that playoff race and then put it together right at the end of the year and then go into the playoffs, I think they're that dangerous team that can knock off almost anybody. They looked really good against the Dallas Stars, who they lost to, um, and we know how good the Dallas Stars were and what a challenge they were. So, uh, you know, if Calgary does end up making the playoffs um, and I my team lines up against them in the first round, I'm worried because if they do put it all together, they're a really tough team to beat. Uh, What I've seen from them against the Jets this year is a team that hasn't been able to put it all together. Take from that what you will. It's early. Again, they're hanging around. If they make the playoffs, it's a totally different story. So they're a team that has the tools. It's just a question question of whether they'll be able to put those tools all to work at the same time at the right time.
2: Right. And if they do, that's one of those teams that what you would see probably – this is just my comparison to years ago with San Jose and LA in the playoffs. It's seven games in a row. You die.
0: I guess it team
2: like that. If they're all, yeah. Players.
0: Yeah. They so. can grind you down. They can grind you down. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, Edmonton, the, um, the Toronto of the West, never hear <laughs> enough about this team. What do you, what do you got about them?
0: <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I'm confused by their inability to defend. Well, another one of the, uh, uh ideas that we had, um, online with Sportsnet personalities is playing a game of would you rather so you take a statement would you rather this would you rather that uh, and then build your case around it and so uh, one that I find is interesting which I think we're probably going to do right away is would you rather have the Winnipeg Jets defense or would you rather have the Edmonton Oilers defense and like let's play right now if you take a look at the names that are on that Edmonton roster on defense you know the Don- Darnell Nurses the Bears the Larson's <clears throat> the um, the Berries. if you take a look at the names that are on that roster on defense compared to what you have on Winnipeg's roster if you're looking at it on paper which of those defenses would you rather take
2: I I think I would rather take Winnipeg's knowing what we have in the press box and also knowing that Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry probably aren't the defensive defensemen that you need if you're looking to actually defend I don't know that's a, that's actually a really good would you rather question because I feel like it would probably split 50-50 uh, maybe I'm partial to Winnipeg and I want some of our press box guys to be playing but I'm going Winnipeg what, what did you take
0: well, I mean, I would take Winnipeg in the sense that they've figured out how to make what they have work. So, But I think the reason why it does work is because Winnipeg is playing, and you'll hear them talk about it, they're playing as a five-man unit. They had said this year they gave up way too many high-grade slot chances last year. They needed to cut that out. How they were going to do that is they were going to take their their centermen and and have them activate down low more often, bring the wingers down, scrunch everybody down into a five-man unit and just kind of create a shell around that area to deny those passes into the middle Uh, and, you know, deny shots through, kind of create that turtle shell. And I think they've done that really well. But I would say, you know, based on what the, 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 the high end of every one of these defensemen that we're talking about, I look at it and I think that the Edmonton Oilers should have a higher performing defense. Um, so <clears throat> to me, that's the big question is, is, um, I, I, Kyle Turris coming into that lineup, I thought he'd maybe be able to do more in that third line role than what we've seen him do so far, just because what Connor McDavid's line and then Leon dry line are able to do, you know, in those top two spots, I think that you're having a lighter load as a third line than most third lines across the league. And, and it should have been something. that that he could handle. Uh, It doesn't look like that's happening so far. So they don't seem to have the depth out of the top six, which is troublesome. And they just don't seem to be able to defend that well. Uh, They're goaltending. They're not getting those saves. I think think Edmonton is one of those teams, if they had been able to go out and snag a really good goaltender in the off season, that that suddenly becomes a team where if your goaltender can win you three or four games a year, You know, and clearly a guy like Connor Hellebuck did that last season for the Winnipeg Jets. If you can go out and have a goaltender that steals eight points for you on the year, I think Edmonton ends up being a a team that does really well. But clearly the same problems they had in goal last year uh, exist. And clearly they haven't found a way to turn, you know, team success uh, or, or their entire team into team defense. It hasn't happened this year. And until they figure that out, I think they're they're exposed the same way that uh, Chicago showed that they were exposed last year. Yes, Connor McDavid can keep you in any game and Leon Dreisaitl can keep you in any game. And we saw them do that against the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets had to, you know, ended up letting one slip through their grasp and had to hold on for dear life in game two against that team, a really deep Jets team that had, you know, Adam Lowry was firing on all cylinders in that game. And I thought that... Uh, um, the, the I think it was still Ehlers, um, Stastny, and Kopp at that time. Those two lines were playing formidably. I thought their fourth line was playing well. I didn't think the Jets' uh, top line was at the top of its game, and clearly they changed because of that. But you take that team that, uh, for the most part, the Jets were firing on all cylinders, and that Edmonton team is still able to hang around and almost steal games. That's the problem, though, is they always have to steal games away from good teams in order to win. And it's just not a recipe for success in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And last but not least, Vancouver. Um, That's probably the best one to leave for Alaska. What the heck is going on over there too?
0: Yeah. So I feel proud about when I was building the, the, four teams that were going to make the playoffs I left Vancouver off that list and I think a lot of the people that I talked to in the industry thought I was crazy for doing that and said Vancouver is a young team and they're a team on the rise Um, and clearly they were the team that went deepest in the playoffs last year out of Canadian teams but I mean if you take a look at what they did in those playoffs last year they got you know rope a for, for every game that they played and, uh, and their goaltender stole a bunch of those games for them and kept them hanging around. And, and that, that is how they survived. Again, you know, in, in a short term, you can win some playoff series that way, but I don't think you're winning playoff series year after year after year doing that. Uh, and I think Chris Tanev losing him was Absolutely massive. Uh, uh, Ken Weeb and I had had been discussing it on a couple of you know online forums. That in that series that the Jets played against Calgary, Chris Tanev was the best player on the ice. He's absolutely phenomenal. So I don't think people really realized what was going to be lost when you lost that guy. I think that um, he allowed a player like Quinn Hughes to look really, really good, you know, and allow people in that market to think, well, we don't need a guy like that because we've got Quinn Hughes and Instead, now you're finding out the loss of a guy like that, and their goaltending. Losing a goaltender like that, who probably stole them a number of games last year um, and earned them extra points, uh, has just left them looking a little bit exposed. They're thin. Uh, they've got a lot of the tools to to uh, to, to succeed there, um, but clearly, clearly, uh, you know, their youth is catching up with them in this moment and digging themselves a hole. I mean, I was asking uh, Sarah Orleski and I were at practice the other day talking about it, and I had said, like, do you think they're done already? I mean, and I know it's, it's early to say that, but you can't dig yourself much of a hole in this division. Um, they're going to have to go on a real big run to kind of cover off what's, what's happened to them here. Um, and it does look, you know, like a team like, uh, I, I mean, last night against Toronto, Toronto looked like they barely showed up and then went out and stole that game if you can't win games like that, where you dominate uh, it's going to be a long, long season.
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting. And especially we've never seen this before where, when you lose points, it's automatically giving points to someone else, right? It's not, which totally it it matters so much more this year than any. So um, yeah, so that's kind of a across the board summary of the different uh, teams that Jess have had to face and you did a really good job of kind of, For each one, talking about how the Jets fare against them, and sort of how um, the matchups we've seen, the matchups we're going to see, and how it might go. Um, What do you think, based on this 11-12 game sample that you've seen? How, what do you think are the four teams that are going to make the playoffs now? Do you stick with your original thoughts, or has Montreal squeaked in there now? Winnipeg, what are your, what is your playoff prediction for the North Division?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, if you talk to some of the other journalists in Winnipeg. who, who I would have been talking to before the season, I agonized over Montreal and I wanted to put them in there so bad. Um, and I wanted to have them as my team that surprised um, it's just, they turned into one of those teams for me that it was, it was like San Jose for all of those years. You know, everyone thought that San Jose was going to win the Stanley cup and they should win the Stanley cup. And it just became after a while, you know, every year you pick them to win the Stanley cup, not me specifically, but you'd see, uh, um, Analysts picking them year after year after year. And at some point, I think, I just feel like with teams like that, you have to stay away from them until, until they show you that they can do it. You know what I mean? Like, it, like take the training wheels off and just, you go and ride that bike and come back to me when you show me, you can ride that bike. And that was, that was the Montreal Canadians. I needed to see that they were going to be able to put it all together. Cause they'd showed signs of it over the last two years and then kept finding ways for it to all fall apart. So, Um, I agonized over it. I thought based on what they had that they should make it, but I I took that approach. I regret it now. I should have done it so that I looked like I knew what I was talking about. Uh, Instead, I'm exposed. But I do think that they're in there. I think Toronto's in there. I think Winnipeg's in there. Um, And I think it really is, for me, in my mind, a battle between Calgary and Edmonton. Now, I should probably pick Calgary just because my original four teams was Uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Toronto. So I shouldn't be flipping, I I should stick with, well, but I had Edmonton in there as well too. I don't know. Uh, It's a real toss up for me because I had Edmonton ranked so high. I think I should just go with Edmonton because I had them ranked to win the division, Toronto, second, Calgary, third, and Winnipeg fourth. So for me to drop them out, that would be showing a real lack of faith. So I got to go with, preseason Sean Reynolds and give him some props and say, I believe in you. I think this is going to work out.
2: Fair enough. Great. Well, um, that was super awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Since this is my media episode, I have one question that I'm asking all my guests at the end. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. If right now you could make a move to acquire one player to make the Winnipeg Jets better, who are you acquiring? So not like Connor McDavid or Leon Dreissel or something like, like that. Like, a move that could actually happen kind of thing like uh moving to get a piece to make the jets better right this moment
0: oh geez well i mean i think the tricky part about the jets is i think what they need to set them up as i mean if you can pull this off and and the way the money is shifting um you could you could uh pay a player like this for years to come i, I think what the jets need is that 1a defenseman like if they had been in a, a in on Chris Tanev and found a way to bring Chris Tanev in and Chris Tanev was your number one guy Um, this would be a team that that for years to come would be a Stanley Cup favorite in my mind Um, the reason why those players aren't here is because they're not easy to come by right like so I mean, it's a tricky one. I I haven't, I haven't thought it through to be honest with you because the, the way that the season's going, I don't know that they're going to be able to add anyone. So I'd have to say, I don't know. I don't know. Like if you could package up a whole bunch of guys, a whole bunch of prospects and make some kind of play to a team that had a defenseman like that, a number one defenseman that was looking towards the future. I mean, maybe, maybe you go and try and get a player like Josh Manson out of, uh, out of Anaheim uh, and kind of bargain the future, give away a lot of the prospects that, that they do have for the right now. Uh, I do think that that's the move the Jets need to make. So rather than saying a specific player, I, I, I would say I'm up for being uh, for a trade where they're bargaining or, or, sorry, sending away a lot of their future to get a guy that they can plug into the lineup right now. And then you have working alongside Josh Morrissey, alongside Dylan DeMello, alongside Neil Pionk. If you've got that, you know, that, that one pillar in the 1A position and those other three players falling into two, three, four, I think with what you have up front, you've got a team that is, is gonna challenge for the Stanley Cup for, for years to come.
2: Awesome. Super. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming and talking to me this morning. This was super fun. I, uh, I love doing things like this. It was so great. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, it's been great to have you back on and uh, we'll see you again soon.
0: Yeah, you bet. I love it too. Thank you for having me. I'm Kirk Gilback and thank you for listening to the JetCentric Broadcast.